Israel is in exile in the book of Isaiah. They've been driven out of their own homeland because their sins are too many. They're in an oppressive situation under the thumb of foreign powers. They're away from home. Life is turbulent and difficult. But then they receive this word in Isaiah chapter 40, and I invite you to listen or read along in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27 to the end of the chapter in 31. Beloved, lift up your hearts and hear this word of our Lord. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those that hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everything's getting brighter. It, if My preference would be to turn these down, if that's possible. Okay. everyone hear me okay? Yeah? In light of the um, mask mandates that we've been living through in the last while, in light of the request and requirement for us to wear it in church, I wanted to, I really wanted to talk this morning about a biblical theology of the human face. (laughs) Because the human face is not just another part of our body, according to Scripture, but it has distinction. It is the locus and center of consciousness of the human being. It's the locus and center of our personhood. It is the place from which and through which, unlike any other, the I that is me can encounter the you that is you. It's a site of revelation. And, you know, one of the ways to think about this is with dogs. Um, There's a book called The Grace of Dogs, and it suggests that one of the reasons we have a very special relationship with dogs is because unlike any of the other animals in the animal kingdom, dogs actually look at and apprehend the human face. It's sometimes you wonder, is something more beyond that dog than just the dog's face itself? It seems to apprehend our consciousness. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that you don't so much look at the face if you're really trying to relate to somebody, but you look into somebody's face. The radiance of Moses' face. Our faces are to reflect the glory of God in this world, and it's in the face that you see it. Now, I wanted to talk about this 
not to raise your anxiety, as I probably already have, not to become disputatious or argumentative about the requirement to wear masks, certainly not, God forbid, to start talking about the science of masks or whatever it might be is going on in our culture. But beloved, I wanted to do this because we are a theological community and we have to be thinking theologically about these things. And all I wanted to do, all I really wanted to do this morning is to just give you a problem, because I know you don't have enough problems on your own. I wanted to give you another problem. We, the church, are in a pickle. Given the incredible importance of faces in Scripture as a site of revelation, I wanted to encourage us to be creative and to think about what can we do during this time when we do need to cover our faces, which is to say, we aren't able to express ourselves as well as we would be able to otherwise. You know, it's on the face that you see people's emotions. We aren't able to be present with each other as we would be otherwise. I was walking the other day and somebody was, had a mask over their face up to here and they had a hoodie down to here and all I saw were slits. And I am finding, and I don't know if you're finding this too, but increasingly it feels like people can be objects in a sea of objects and it's hard to get people's eye contact. And so I wanted to give us a problem. And I wanted to suggest that maybe one of the things that we can do as a body of Christ is not take off our masks. I'm not advocating for that once again. But just to say, we need to be extra careful and conscious of being present to one another in very real ways. Maybe, all of, maybe we need to wear masks that are see-through in some way or another. Uh, maybe we need to learn to smile with our eyes in ways that we haven't ever before so that we can really show people that we're present, we're with them. I don't know. I don't have the solution. I really did just want to give you the problem. And I wanted to elaborate on this from text, beautiful text in Scripture about the glories and the wonders of the human face. But as I was thinking about doing this, after I was driving home from council on Tuesday night and we had a tense meeting, it's a microcosm of what's going on in society, and I thought, there is no way on God's green earth that I can, in good faith, preach this message. And you're thinking, well, you kind of just did, didn't you? Nice one. But I thought, I can't do it because the possibility, the likelihood that I am going to be misunderstood is huge. And it is possible that I have already been misunderstood. And as this realization dawned on me as I'm driving home, I just felt tired. Dog tired. I had a feeling of the energy seeping out of my body quickly. And I just felt a sense of weariness. And I thought, what am I going to preach on now? And then I realized that preaching on weariness itself might not be a bad idea because I know that I'm not the only one who's been experiencing weariness lately. I'm not alone in that. And so I think Isaiah addresses this rather simply but rather well for us. And so I'm going to preach a sermon for myself this morning, and also, Lord willing, for you. I think the place to begin, actually, is simply in making a distinction between, it's kind of a technical distinction, but it helps us get a sense of weariness, between the concept of being tired on the one hand and the concept of being weary on the other hand. Even though we will say, you know, I'm tired, 
dog tired and use that as a, a way to express weariness. But I do think there's a technical difference. We might say that tiredness is a condition of the body, whereas weariness is a condition of the soul that can then begin to affect the body. So, for example, if somebody is trying to summit, to climb up Mount Everest, and they're making good progress towards the top, everything's going really well, they might very well and likely will become very tired on their ascent. Somebody, though, that's mounting, trying to mount Mount Everest, and they're facing obstacle, one after the other, and not making much progress at all, and there's even infighting in their group, they might feel tiredness, to be sure, but they're also very likely to start to feel weariness. And more often than not, it's going to be that weariness that's going to prevent them from getting to the top of the mountain. Tiredness is more a condition of the body, whereas weariness is a condition of the soul. When you're tired, you feel like your physical energy has been squeezed or wrenched out of you. When you're weary, you feel like your enthusiasm for life itself has been or is beginning to be squeezed out of you like you don't want to go on, like the journey's been too long. I think one of the finest descriptions of weariness in Scripture, one of them, is when the prophet Elijah has had this mighty victory on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal, and he runs back to his hometown. He's got all of this energy. He's not tired at all. He tucks his cloak and his belt, and he runs back to his hometown, and then Jezebel immediately goes after him, and she wants to kill him. And he's on the lamb again, and he runs, and he goes to a river, and he's by the river, and he's weary. He's tired. He's dog-tired, and he sits down at this river, and an angel comes and attends to him, and it's because he's weary that the angel says, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. And isn't that an apt description of weariness? Weariness is that feeling we have when the, the journey has just become too much for us. We're not sure that we want to go on. We're losing our enthusiasm for life to keep on going, at least in that moment. There is a moment in the movie, The Green Mile, as some of you know, one of my favorite movies in this world, when John Coffey, the character, also gives a very apt and beautiful description of weariness. Uh, John Coffey, for those of you who don't know, he's actually a Christ figure in this movie. I believe this book is actually Stephen King's exploration of the gospel. Um, as you have three deaths in the, the three crucifixions, there's three deaths here, and anyways, very different people from John Coffey, but you have J.C. I'm completely going on a tangent. I'm just trying to get you to watch this wonderful movie. But in any event, you know, John Coffey's this beautiful, huge, monstrous uh, black man, and he's beautiful not only because he's huge in physical comportment, but because of his heart and the way that he operates and lives in the world. He tries to take back the bad things that are in the world, but he's crying for a double murder that he didn't commit of two young girls. He was trying to take back their death, but they see this guy and they immediately make an assumption that he killed them. And so he's on death row. He's on the Green Mile. And Paul, who is the kind of warden or the leader of the Green Mile, knows who John Coffey, J.C., really is, and he wants to save him. And so he says, you know, how can I live with myself if I let a man like this go to the electric chair? And he's telling John, we're going to save you. We're going to get you out of here. And John says, he says this. He's so weary. He says, 
I'm tired, boss. Dog tired. The way people are ugly to each other every single day, it's like glass in my head. I'm tired, boss. Dog tired. And he means that he's weary. Here's the longer quote. I'm tired, boss. Tired of being on the road. Lonely as a sparrow in the rain. Tired of not ever having me a buddy to be with or tell me where we, we's coming from or going to and why. Mostly, I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Can you understand, boss? And I think we can understand this. Because some of us are starting to feel tired, dog tired as well. The journey has become too much for us. Our enthusiasm to go on is being wrung out of us somewhat. We're tired of people being ugly to each other. We're tired of the constant tension in the air when we have family gatherings and are getting together. We're tired of the tension that can coexist in our life together as churches. We're tired, perhaps, of difficult relationships, difficult marriages, difficult relationship with our kids, whatever it might be, and we just become so weary. Is there no end to the struggle? And beloved, I think the first thing we need to do if this describes us today is to simply own it. Just own it. You know, we in many of our traditions have been taught to keep a stiff upper lip. If you're suffering, if you're beginning to get weary, well then just stuff it. Big boys don't cry and neither do big girls. Just be strong. Just keep going. Just keep plodding away. I'd like, you to, re- I'd like to remind you that Jesus, our Lord, became weary and he owned his weariness. When he was in Gethsemane, he said, my soul is weary to the point of death. Now that is losing an enthusiasm to go on. The Apostle Paul shares it in 2 Corinthians as well. He says we were pressed on every side that we began to despair for our lives. And then he describes his weariness this way. We felt the sentence of death. Oh, that is being tired, dog tired, deep down in the soul, indeed. And some of us just need to say, you know what? I don't really want to admit it, but I am so tired. I'm so weary. And I want to say to you and underscore, there is no shame in that. Our Lord admitted he was weary. St. Paul admitted that he was weary. Elijah admitted that he was weary. There's no shame in it. The text in Isaiah says, God does not grow tired or weary, but even youths and young men get tired and get weary. Strongest of the strong get weary. And so if you're weary, do not feel shame about that because we live in a wearying world. It's true. At times, it's just positively wearying. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. He could have said, blessed are those who are weary, for their suffering is an index, a true index of what's going on in the world. I was meditating on these things and busy in the process of writing the sermon, and at one point during this week, my youngest daughter, Annalise, came with her telephone and said, Dad, i got to show you something. This is really funny. And it was, um, I don't know, was it TikTok or Instagram or one of these things where you get these 15 to 20 second dopamine hits? 
right, from a funny video or something. And so she comes to me and she says, you got to see this. And it's a scene of uh, a birthday party of a 94-year-old woman. And you see the 94-year-old woman sitting at the head of the table. Her hair is all done. She looks great. There's a big uh, cake in front of her. It's got uh, a nine and a giant nine and a four on it. There's candles brightly lit all around the cake. There's balloons, colorful balloons, and her family is singing, happy birthday to you, and it's joyous and celebrative, and she's got one of her granddaughters or someone behind her, and she's singing and kind of dancing, and they finish the song, and the granddaughter leans into her grandmother and says, happy birthday, grandma, and grandma, looking straight ahead and without flinching, says, happy birthday indeed, and I hope it's my last. And she's dead serious. And no wonder, because after 94 years in this world, yeah, when your body's breaking down and you've suffered so many losses and lost so many people you love, life can begin to feel not a little wearying and we can lose our enthusiasm for life because we're tired, dog tired. And some of us are there even though we are a long ways off 94. But beloved, I want to tell you, it's okay if you feel that way. It's totally okay. Not only because it's a true index of what's going on in this world, but because you need not get stuck there. You need not despair. You need not be locked in your weariness. Because look at the promise of our text. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. We need not be stuck in our weariness. We not need to give up under the load of our weariness. We may acknowledge that we are lacking enthusiasm to go on, but it doesn't mean we need to fall down and give up the game. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The NIV is interesting here. I compared the NIV's translation of this text to other translations of this text, The NIV is the only translation that I could find which says those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And why? Because more true to the Hebrew would be, as other um, translations put it, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. So why did the NIV translate it that way? I don't really have a beef with it because they have an insight. Waiting is a species of hope. Waiting is hope in action. (laughs) You don't wait for something unless you have hope that someone or something is going, someone's going to come or something is going to happen. Waiting is hope in action. It is a species of hope. And the promise of our text is that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And why is this true? Well, I invite you to imagine for a moment. It's a bit cliche, but do it anyways. Imagine that one day you're perhaps on a nice tropical vacation and somebody invites you to take out a laser sailboat on the water, and so you do, and as you're out there, a furious squall comes up and you're blown over the course of a couple of days. Blown, blown, high waves, light and darkness, 
until you come to a stranded island. And you get to the stranded island, and amazingly, there's enough there so that you can eat and you can drink and you can have biological survival. And in the beginning, you hope that somebody's going to come for you, but as the days stretch into weeks and the weeks stretch into months, I can't think of a movie, but there's a movie that actually does this, right? Who knows the title of that? Tom Hanks. What's it called? Castaway. Sorry, I was trying to read your lips. Castaway. And uh, after a while, you begin to lose hope that anyone's going to come, and you become weary. But then as you're sitting on the beach, you see this red and white plane overhead with a cross symbol on it, and it drops a, a canning jar from a parachute, and it comes down and lands on the beach beside you, and in the canning jar is a little message. And it says, take heart. We see you. We know who you are. We are coming back to get you. Might take some time but we are coming for you. How does this change you? Well, it doesn't change your circumstances. You're still stuck on the beach. You're still eating the same shrubs and bugs, but now you have hope. Now you're not just languishing, but now you're actually waiting because you know that the prospects for the future are good. And this is the definition of hope for the Christian. It is the feeling that comes when you know that the prospects for the future are good. And the point of Scripture and the story that we find ourselves in as Christians is this. God has said, Christian, yes, you may suffer now. Yes, you may hurt now. Yes, it may be nails difficult for you now. Yes, you may feel weariness now, but take heart because the prospects for the future are good. I've got the future and I'm coming for you. It might take some time, but hold on because I am coming back for you. Isaiah toward the ends of uh, the end of his book says this. He recounts these words of the Lord to the people of Israel. Behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. For as the days of the tree, so the days of my people. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. And of course, the New Testament updates this and says that there is an entirely new heavens and new earth on the way where all things will be made new. And this is the hope that we have to look forward to as Christians. This is the prospect of the future that we have. And it's to give us strength in the current time while we are sitting on whatever beach we find ourselves stranded on. It is to give us strength in the current time. And friends, I think... One of the things that we need to be doing as a body of Christ, among other things, and one of the things we need too is a foretaste of the future of the prospect is the relationship and the community that we can experience now. And I think we need to make extra concerted efforts to be engaged in real community together and in real fellowship together. But one of the things that we can do and should do is to remind each other of this common future that we have over and over again to remind each other of this future that we have. For example, to say to each other, as God says to Jeremiah, 
to the people through Jeremiah and Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you life and a future. Let us remind each other of this. God has not forgotten us. God had not forgotten Israel. He does have a plan for us that may be in the immediate future, but it may be in the longer future too. So take great heart. You know what Zechariah says to the people of Israel? What God says to the people of Israel? How, you know how you should think of yourselves, people of God? You are a prisoner of hope. That's what he says through Zechariah. The people of God are to be prisoners of hope in this world because the future that God has for us is secure. One of the things that this means is that we can learn to say to each other, look, I know that you're struggling. I know it's really hard right now, but I have a message for you to sustain you. Sister in Christ, brother in Christ, this too will pass. <laughs> I know you're hurting but it will not last. I know you're suffering, but it's going to be no more. Hopefully sooner rather than later, but certainly and absolutely later. I like how Teresa of Avila, the 16th century mystic, put it in her poem, God Alone Suffices. She said, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things pass. God never changes patience obtains all whoever has god lacks nothing god alone suffices oh isn't that good news this too will pass we can remind each other to think about father abraham how on earth was it that father abraham endured despite the weariness he must have felt when he was sent out by God from everything that was familiar to him, his country, his people, his father's household, and go to a land that God would show him. The author of Hebrews tells us that the way that Abraham overcame his weariness is that he kept his focus not on the cities of men, not on building utopia here on this earth, not of the perfect life that was going to come in for him here and now, but his focus was on the city whose builder and architect was God. So too for us. We can focus on the city whose builder and architect is God. This future is secure. When I was at Webster Christian Reformed Church, I preached a sermon on the glories of heaven. And I talked about how there's going to be a whole new world, which is not completely different from this one. It'll be continuous with this one, but even better, kind of as Jesus' resurrection body was better than his mortal body. And I talked about the new body, talked about the new relationships that are going to transpire. And it's kind of fun to think about all of the things that will not be in heaven. You ever consider that, the things that won't be in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth? There won't be any more prisons, there won't be any more police departments, no fire departments, no pharmacies. There will be no more jails. What else can you imagine that won't be in heaven? There probably won't be any more preachers in heaven. That's sad, but there won't be. And so I went on in this message talking about all the glories of heaven and talking about how it's, it's going to be like cotton candy for a child who's having it for the first time. And there was a lady in my church who had suffered an awful lot in her younger years and was silently suffering 
in a difficult marriage with an alcoholic husband at the time, and she came up to me some months later, and she says, hey, you know that sermon you preached on the glories of heaven a couple of months ago? I've named that sermon. I said, oh, you have, have you? Because I just had a pathetic title for it. It was like um, the glories of heaven or something. And she said, no, no, I call that the cotton candy sermon. <laughs> and she said, you know, Pastor Ed, um, I like your preaching, but I wish you'd preach a cotton candy sermon every single Sunday. I could listen to it every single Sunday. Because for her, it helped her to carry on. Some of us might say, well, all of this focus on the future, it's just escapist. Like you're just trying to escape the present and not live it. No, 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 no. Do not miss here. Please do not miss here. This focus on the future is to enable us to take up our task in the present with buoyancy and hope to continue the work that God has us to do. Even if it's inglorious, even if it's ignominious, even if it's very difficult, is to help us to keep pressing on with the joy of the Lord. I read Of Mice and Men twice when I was on my sabbatical, the book by John Steinbeck. I watched the movie once. I am almost ready to go back and read Of Mice and Men a third time and watch the movie again too, for I dearly, dearly love this book. And one of the things I love most is how George and Lenny, the two main characters in the book, encourage one another by a common vision of the future. They're living in very difficult times during the Depression. Lenny is strong but dumb, and George is weak but smart, and they make a wonderful partnership. Lenny's this huge guy, but not very smart, and he keeps getting them into trouble because he likes soft things, but he ends up killing the soft things that he pets and scaring more. I won't ruin the story for you if you haven't read it. But they're sitting by a fire one night, and they're talking about how hard it is for them, but how they're not like other guys. I read you this passage as we draw to a conclusion. Lenny spoke craftily. Tell me like you've done before, George. Tell me like you've done before. Tell you what? About the rabbits. <laughs> George snapped. You ain't putting nothing over me, Lenny. Lenny pleaded, come on, George. Tell me, please, George, like you've done before. You get a kick out of that, don't you, Lenny? All right, I'll tell you. And then we'll eat our supper. George, George's voice became deeper. He repeated his words rhythmically as though he had said them many times before. Well, Lenny, guys like us that work on ranches are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family. They don't belong to no place. They come to a ranch and work up a stake, and then they go into a town and blow their stake. And the first thing you know, they're pounding their tail on some other ranch. They ain't got nothing to look ahead to. Lenny was delighted. That's it. That's it. Now, tell us how it is with us, George. Tell us how it is with us. George went on. Well, with us, it ain't like that. We got a future. We got somebody to talk to that gives a darn about us. And someday, someday we're going to get the jack together. And we're going to have a little house. And a couple of acres. And a cow. And some pigs. And Lenny breaks in. And live off the fat of the land. <laughs> and have rabbits. Go on, George. Tell about what we're going to have in the garden and about the rabbits in the cages and about the rain in the winter and the stove and how thick the cream is on the milk like you can hardly cut it. Tell about that, George. Tell about that. Why don't you do it yourself? You know all of it. No, you tell it, George. 
It ain't the same if I tell it. Go on, George. Tell how I get to tend the rabbits. (laughs) Tell me again of that old, old story. And also tell me of how the sun is going to break over the horizon in a new day. I can tell myself better if we tell one another and remind each other of these things. St. Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You know how you can be sure of the future that is coming for us? St. Peter indicates it here. He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. A proper eschatology for the Christian that is a doctrine of the end thing says the end has already come. The future of God has broken into the present time in the resurrection of Jesus. He is a first fruit of the new creation coming in. How can you be certain of this future? Christ rose up from the dead. And where the head goes, the body must follow. And we are the body of Christ. Hold on. He is coming again. Endure whatever beach you're stranded on and take great hope for the God who makes promises, keeps promises, despite the odds that scare our hope. So let us rise up on wings like eagles and run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. For the Lord our God is with us and all God's people say, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.